as always, it's a wonderful privilege to be here. Um, I love getting to come and, and worship with you guys and, and share God's word with you. Give me a minute to put myself in order. All right, so for anyone here who uh, does not know me, my name's Joshua Stevens. I'm a, a student at Expositor Seminary in Jacksonville, a member of Grace Community Church of Mandarin uh, out there, and uh, Brandon invited me to come out and preach on the uh, the authority of Scripture, um, which, which is a topic which is uh, uh, near and dear to my heart. Um, if you would, just bow with me one more time, and let us go to the Lord and ask him to uh, prepare our hearts to receive the preaching of his word. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to your word that you have given to teach us and instruct us in godliness and holiness and truth, as we come to your word where you have revealed yourself uh, to us in an authoritative and binding way, I pray that uh, you would give me the right words to speak, uh, that what I say would be accurate, that it would accurately reflect what you have revealed in your word, or that our hearts would be uh, soft uh, to the, the guidance of your spirit, that they would be soft to what you have to say in your word, uh, that we might go from here changed people, we might go from here more like Christ because of what you have revealed in your word. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so uh, as we said this morning, we'll be looking at the authority of Scripture. Um, and I, I want to actually take some time just to give you a, a road map of where we'll, where we'll be going in the sermon. Um, I am an, an avid note taker, and so it's, it's hard for me when I get lost listening to a sermon, and I don't know if I'm on point one, sub point A, um, or if I'm supposed to be on point two, or where we are, and so... Um, I'm trying to protect you guys uh, from that because I don't preach as well as I take notes. And so um, we're going to actually do a bit of a, a topical sermon today. Um, don't tell my preaching professor uh, that we did that. And uh, in the beginning, we're going to go through kind of a, a brief survey of what Scripture says uh, as a whole uh, through some selected verses on the topic of the authority of Scripture um, and then in the, the second half, we're actually going to dive into a passage of Psalm 119 and just kind of take a look at what the authority of Scripture uh, looks like in practice uh, in the life of a believer. Um, I, I will say, as we're going through um, just the, the different passages uh, on the authority of Scripture, um, it, it will seem a little bit uh, redundant. You know, we're, we're looking at multiple passages. Each one has a different nuance uh, to it of what the authority of Scripture looks like, um, but it has a lot of the same content. Um, don't be bored. I might be boring. You can be bored because of me, but don't be bored because of the Word of God. Um, he, God does not have a, a speech impediment, and he doesn't forget that he's already said something. And so when Scripture repeats something, and it says it multiple times throughout the Word, that is intentional. God knows that we are, are stupid sheep. We forget things very easily. And so when God reinforces something repeatedly throughout His Word, and we have the privilege of looking at many of those examples all together, uh, don't let the redundancy make you bored. Let it reinforce the importance um, of these doctrines. Uh, they're there over and over because they are that essential to the Christian life. Um, in the beginning, I, I want to look at two 
um, two facets of authority. Um, the authority of God really fleshes itself in two main ways in the life of a believer. One is that the authority of Scripture means that we are accountable to believe what Scripture says. Um, and second, we are accountable to obey what Scripture says. Um, two definitions that I, I found helpful um, in my study uh, on these two different facets of authority. Uh, the first is from Kevin DeYoung. Uh, he says, The last word always goes to the Word of God. We must never allow the teachings of science, of human experience, or of church councils to take precedence over Scripture. And so it doesn't matter what you think you've experienced. It doesn't matter what uh, the scientist or supposed scientist is saying on Netflix about creation. It doesn't matter who says anything. The Word of God tells us what to believe. God's authority in His Word tells us what our faith is to be and the content of that faith, uh, no matter who goes against it. Uh, the, the second definition, kind of capturing the, the obedience side of this authority, uh, is from John Frame. He says, uh, authority is the right to rule. God has supreme authority, and so he has the right to tell us what to do and to receive obedience in return. Given that Scripture is his inspired word, Scripture has the same right. What Scripture says, God says. And so not only does the authority of God mean that we are accountable to believe everything within it, we are also accountable to put it into practice in our life. Authority means uh, God deserves our obedience uh, to the things that he reveals in his word. Um, just one more, more quick, uh, quick aside as we get started. Um, one of the things that can be dangerous when you're doing uh, systematic theology is that some of these things can seem a little bit too split apart from each other. Uh, we, we can get uh, kind of a myopic focus on one single doctrine isolated from others uh, and the expression, you, you miss the forest through the trees. Um, I, I want to protect us uh, from that here in that, yes, we, we pull these apart so we can examine each one and see the beauty of each nuance of Scripture, uh, but Scripture is an organic whole. It's not a bunch of isolated doctrines. And God has put this uh, beautifully together as a, a one composite, beautiful, organic book of Scripture. And we are just looking at the different nuances. They don't compete uh, with each other. And often, in one passage, you will see uh, the doctrines of sufficiency and inspiration and authority all woven together beautifully. Um, and so just, uh, just be careful as, as we go through not to feel that these are isolated uh, from each other or say, well, I thought that passage was supposed to be on authority, but I really saw sufficiency in there um, or inspiration. That's, that's because that's how God gave it to us. Uh, the, these are all, all pieces of the same thing. Um, one, one more quote from Kevin DeYoung. Uh, there's probably more in here too. I, I, I like Kevin DeYoung. He says, it is worth taking a moment to consider uh, what a difference these four attributes of Scripture make for everyday life and godliness. Uh, counselors can counsel meaningfully because Scripture is sufficient. Bible study leaders can lead confidently because Scripture is clear. Preachers can preach with boldness because their biblical text is authoritative. And evangelists can evangelize with urgency because the Scripture is necessary. Um, I just I, I love that, how all of these pieces fit together of the same, same composite whole of scripture 
um, I wanted to take just just a few minutes and look at some of the the major doctrines, uh, some of which I think you've you've already talked about, and some that are upcoming, and just how how they all work together with authority. Uh, the first one I wanted to look at is is relationship between inspiration um, and authority. Uh, inspiration is is really the the foundational doctrine um, of authority uh, because inspiration says where we got the Bible from. You know, this isn't a, a man-made book. Uh, scripture doesn't possess an authority of its own simply because it's an amazing collection of writings. The scripture possesses authority because its author is God. Now, there's plenty of amazing pieces of literature in the world. They are not authoritative for how we are to live our life. You know, the Iliad does not mean that we have to match our lives to what it, it reveals to us. Scripture has authority because of who wrote it, ultimately. And that author is God. Uh, therefore, his, his written word, uh, because God is the author, his written word also possesses the same authority that he has because it reflects his nature. Um, if we do not view the Bible as God's words, uh, then we really can't have any true view of the Bible as being authoritative. Let me say that again. If we don't really believe that God is the author of Scripture, we cannot view Scripture as authoritative. It would be foolish uh, to do so. Uh, we wouldn't look at any human document and say that that is authoritative for life and godliness and how our family should look. We have to have a true, proper understanding of inspiration uh, to really have the doctrine of authority have any teeth to it whatsoever. Um, moving on to, to another one, the relationship between inerrancy and authority. And in, obviously inerrancy and inspiration go hand in hand as well. Um, with God being the author, God can make no mistakes. And so with Scripture being inerrant, um, listen to this, uh, this quote from the Chicago Statement of Biblical Inerrancy. It says, The authority of Scripture is inescapably impaired if this total divine inerrancy is limited in any way or disregarded or made relative to a view of truth contrary to the Bible's own. And such lapses bring serious loss to both the individual and to the church. So in other words, if we start believing that the Bible is capable of containing error in any way, uh, then we have knocked the feed out from underneath our doctrine of authority. Uh, authority, uh, just like it rests on inspiration uh, for who wrote it, it rests on inerrancy because it's authoritative knowing it can make no mistakes and so we can trust it. It is trustworthy um, if it wasn't trustworthy, why would we say that it was authoritative for how to live our lives? Inerrancy and authority go hand in hand. Um, one, one more, uh, the relationship between sufficiency and authority. Um, imagine uh, someone might have the authority to do something. Uh, for example, if you're at work, uh, your boss might have, any, have the authority to call a staff meeting and say everyone needs to be in the conference room in five minutes. But he might be horrible at leading staff meetings. So he has the authority uh, to make that decision. He's not very sufficient in carrying it out. Uh, in the same way, you might have an employee who is a great leader. He can lead sufficiently. That ability to lead does not give him the authority to walk around the office and tell his coworkers what to do. Uh, but in the Word of God, we have the authority of God and the fact that it is completely sufficient for everything. And so, um, you know, imagine someone offered to give you a ride 
in their car and they're a terrible driver, they have the authority to drive their vehicle, uh, but you might not get where you're trying to go because they might crash the car. When we submit ourselves to the authority of God's word, we never have to worry about whether or not it's sufficient to take us where it promises to. Uh, we don't have to worry that it's going to fail uh, somewhere along the way and leave us in a ditch, uh, leave us ruining our lives uh, because we submitted, submitted ourselves to something that was incapable of carrying us through life's trials. And so um, it is, it's important to keep uh, these relationships in mind uh, as we come uh, to look at examples in Scripture, uh, primarily because Scripture keeps them all together uh, when it shows us the authority of Scripture. All right, so our first verse this morning, we're going to start out in the Old Testament. A turn to Joshua chapter 23, verse 6. And so Joshua is addressing the nation of Israel. He says, Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left. Um, now, I, I will admit right off the bat, this verse is extracted. Um, I'm not using it out of context, but there is a larger context here that's not necessarily dealing with the authority of Scripture and the larger passage. Um, but this, this verse itself, if we just look at the content of what uh, Joshua says to the nation of Israel, uh, notice, one, he's, he's holding them accountable to what Moses has given them in the deposit of Scripture. And secondly, look at the precision um, that he tells them to obey with. They are to turn neither to the right nor to the left. Uh, so there, with Scripture, there is no acceptable margin of error in how we choose to obey God's word. God's word demands absolute obedience. Um, if you're a parent, you're probably very familiar with what it looks like when you tell your child to do something, um, even something simple. And you know, as a parent, especially as a father, you expect what? Immediate, respectful, silent obedience. It's just going to happen as soon as I say it. What often happens, though? Well, why? I don't want to. Can I do this instead? Can I do it this way? Uh, it's not my turn to do it. I did it last time. When the Word of God uh, tells us to do something or not to do something, there's no room for that kind of discussion. Uh, we, we don't get to enter into debate with God's Word about how we're going to obey, or to what degree we are going to obey. Uh, because the authority of Scripture carries uh, the very words of God, nothing that Scripture says to do can be taken as a suggestion. The scripture does not suggest. It commands. All right, we're, we're going to be flipping a lot. Turn to James 1. Look at James 1.22. Uh, James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Uh, now again, this verse primarily is about the difference between true and false faith. 
but notice James' uh, presupposition as he comes to this, this command. The authority of Scripture means that it has the right to tell us what to do. And that's why James says we're not only to be hearers of the word, but doers. The authority of the word means that we don't have the right to listen and then walk away without applying what the scripture says. The authority of scripture means that every human being is accountable to obey the decrees of the word. The authority of scripture means that we don't get to listen to what the word says and then go and decide for ourselves whether we feel like putting it into practice or not. Uh, the authority of Scripture demands, and I'm going to use this phrase a lot today, unquestionable obedience. Okay, the next verse, John 12, 47 through 50. He says, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. Um, in, in context, if you're not there, this is Jesus speaking. He says, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say, and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father told me. What a clear picture of God's authority in his word. We see that Jesus says he didn't come of his own authority. He came on the Father's authority, on the Father's initiative, and that authority was shown in the words that Jesus spoke. Jesus says that those who reject him will be judged by those words that they have not accepted. So we see neutrality is not an acceptable view in regards to the word of Jesus. We cannot sit on the fence. Scripture does not give us the option of sitting on the fence and not deciding whether or not we're going to obey or whether or not it has implications for our life. Uh, scripture demands a response. Uh, as you see here, unresponsiveness is a response. Unresponsiveness is rejection of Jesus' words. So this shows that the word uh, does not just possess the authority to tell us what to do. Um, it holds us accountable to it. It is the perfect standard of God. Uh, this is an excellent example of seeing the inspiration and authority of Scripture working together. Uh, it has the right to command us because of the one who wrote it. Uh, we also see in this passage, Scripture doesn't just command obedience in action, it commands obedience in belief. Right? Jesus wasn't saying um, it necessarily in this context, do this or don't do this. He was speaking as a whole of the fact that they rejected his words. So he was saying, you are guilty of not viewing the authority of this word because you are not believing it. And again, I want to keep emphasizing it's not just the authority of I obey what Scripture says and I don't do what Scripture says not to do. Uh, the authority of Scripture means that we have to believe uh, every, every jot of ink between these two covers. 
That, that is what the authority of Scripture means for the life of a believer. Uh, John MacArthur said, For a Christian to doubt the Word of God is the grossest kind of self-contradiction. And no one says it's like him, right? Let me, let me read that again. For a Christian to doubt the Word of God is the grossest kind of self-contradiction. To be a Christian means that we trust God. Faith in God means that we believe his words. Uh, Christian, it, it may feel like an insignificant thing to you when you doubt the truthfulness of Scripture. Uh, but the reality of what you are doing uh, when you have those moments, when I have those moments, is that in our hearts we are calling God a liar. Uh, do you believe that? Do you see that? When we have those moments where we say, you know, that's just, that's hard to believe. Really what we were doing, we were looking at God and saying, I think you lied to me. Uh, it is not that he isn't kind and patient with us through those moments that, that we all have, those dark nights of where our faith is, is weak. Uh, but in those moments, let's be honest with ourselves about what's really going on in our hearts. We are telling God, the creator of the universe, that he is not worthy to be believed or trusted. And, and do you realize that that literally, literally is the oldest trick of the enemy. You know, what did, what did the snake say to Eve in the garden? What was the inception of the very first sin? Has God really said? Uh, Satan wants you to think that this is not a trustworthy, authoritative document for your life. Uh, today, these attacks often come in the form of uh, college professors, uh, skeptical co-workers, unsaved family members, and we need to be prepared to submit ourselves uh, to the authority of God in his word uh, when they come and say that I trust God's word more than my own finite ability to understand it or explain it. You see, because God's authority in his word does not rest on the foundation of our ability to understand every nuance of it or to connect every dot. Uh, because then we're the authority. If we say this book is only authoritative where I understand how it works, God's no longer the authority, I am, and I get to judge what's true and what is untrue. The authority of God's word means that when it says something, we say, well, I, I really have trouble understanding how that works. But if God's word says it, then that means it's true, and that, that's enough for me. And I don't need to feel embarrassed when someone comes to me and says, do you really believe that? Yes, I do. I have it on the surest foundation uh, in the universe that that is true. And I don't have to understand it to believe that. Okay, one, one more verse uh, as, we, as we survey what, what Scripture says. Uh, Revelation 22, 18 through 19 says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of, this, of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Notice that only God has the authority to speak in Scripture. Uh, it's not that this is, um, yes, he used human authors, but God, God is the only authority here. Um, it's not some kind of a discussion between God and man that creates this authority. 
and no one can add to it or take away from it uh, without incurring uh, horrible, horrible consequences upon themselves. Uh, so the other day, one of my children came and told me that his younger brother was bothering him. When he told me what his brother was doing, it was pretty innocuous and harmless, and I told him that he needed to just deal with it or go somewhere else. However, as he uh, ran down the hallway, I heard him call out to his brother and say, Dad said if you don't stop, you're getting a spanking. Now, that wasn't what I said. And um, we can just say the punishment fit the crime when I came out and dealt with it. So if me, as just a human authority in my son's life, if I have consequences for when my words are misrepresented, how much more so does God have the right to say that his words are not to be misrepresented by anyone? Uh, this is the, the deposit of faith that God has given us in his word, and we are not to change a jot or tittle of this uh, because it is not born of human, it is born of God. Uh, so far, we've looked at the relationship between authority and other doctrines in Scripture, uh, along, like I said, with a handful of verses uh, showing what the authority of Scripture means. Uh, scriptures have authority because they are God's words uh, and they demand absolute belief and obedience. Uh, so now I, I would like to, to change gears a little bit. Turn in your, your Bibles to Psalm 119. Now we're going to look at verses 89, uh, I'm sorry, yes, 89 through 96. Uh, so this is under the heading of uh, Lamed. Uh, one of the things that is fantastic about the Psalms that they, they not only provide doctrinal instruction for us, uh, but because of the nature of what they are, uh, the, these, these songs, these, these prayers uh, by believers, uh, they often give us a glimpse into how our hearts as believers should react to those doctrines uh, that they reveal. Um, now, re remember what we talked about earlier, systematic theology is the extraction of theological concepts into different categories so that we can better understand how the different pieces of Scripture fit together. Uh, but we should never look at the individual pieces so much that we lose sight of the organic whole. So as we look at this passage in Psalm 119, we're going to see examples of the authority of Scripture, but we're also going to see uh, how it is beautifully blended together uh, with many other doctrines of Scripture, uh, wrapped up and intertwined with each other so that you cannot see a one without seeing all of them. Um, and on that note, I, I'll admit that uh, this passage is not primarily dealing with authority. Uh, th this is primarily dealing with the faithfulness of God and the sufficiency of God's word to carry us through trials. And yet, intertwined in that is uh, the, the presupposed authority of God's word uh, for our life along with what our response as believers uh, should be. Um, I, be I believe you have this in your, your outline. Um, the first, we're going to see uh, three, uh, three sections through this verse. Uh, the first one is the eternal authority of God's word. 
It says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. God's word accomplishes what it intends to accomplish, uh, creating the world and sustaining its existence. You can see God's word will stand forever. Uh, For as long as God is maintaining the existence of the world, so sure, the psalmist says, is God's word not to fail. Uh, fixed in the heavens. So this is the point we really want to to hone in on this morning. By God's appointment, all things stand and all things are his servants. Uh, Notice the comprehensiveness of God's authority in this passage. It is God's sovereign decree which is being talked about here. How God is sovereign over every molecule of creation. But remember that scripture is God's word breathed out. So every jot and tittle of it is inspired by him to say exactly what he intended. So the level of authority that God has over creation, okay, listen to this, the level of authority that God has as God is the same level of authority that he has invested in his word. Guys, the infinite authority of God is exactly what we have right here. This is just as authoritative as God himself because it is God's character incarnate in this book. God's authority has established the existence of all creation, and it is his authority which establishes dominions, uh, dominance, excuse me, over all things. And you notice it says, all things are your servants. That is the degree of authority that we have here. This is authoritative over all things. There's no nook or cranny somewhere in the universe where God's authority in his word does not prevail. And that is why the psalmist says that God's word is fixed in the heavens. There is as much chance of God failing to sustain creation as there is for his word to become irrelevant. The authority of the word is not founded upon how relevant or trendy it may seem to modern man or to modern society. The authority of the word is founded upon the unchanging character of the one who wrote it. Uh, We live in a world that says scripture is antiquated, that it's outdated, uh, that we need to look to psychology or the media or science for our answers for how to respond uh, to the trials and the tribulations of life, and uh, more specifically, the trials and the tribulations of the year 2020. Uh, so far, this year has been uh, full of epidemics and civil unrest, and, and y'all, we're, we're halfway through. <laughs> we're halfway through a year where I think I've seen more in this year than the rest of my life put together up to, up to this point. Um, God's word is just as authoritative today as it was a year ago and a generation ago and since the beginning of redemptive history. Uh, We do not need to be fooled into thinking that somehow the world has gone so crazy that God's word no longer has the ability to tell us how to live our life, how to make choices for our family, 
or how to be a God-glorifying believer in this world. Uh, remember the theme of First, first Peter. He wrote the book to Christians who were suffering persecution and were in the midst of trials. In light of that, what does he say? Do whatever it takes to keep your spirits up. Decide for yourself how your life needs to look. No. He says, in the midst of this trial and persecution, keep obedient to the truth. Christian, in many ways, what is happening in the world the persecution we are under, the level of trial and difficulty it is irrelevant to what the Word says to do and whether or not we are accountable to obey. God has promised that we will go through much difficulty in this life. And He's equally promised that we are accountable to obey what He has put in His Word regardless of our circumstances, regardless of how difficult it may seem to us at any given time. The truth of God's word possesses authority in all times and in all situations. Uh, this is where uh, the doctrine of sufficiency and the doctrine of authority go hand in hand together. Uh, beloved, let me ask you, in the midst of these turbulent times, do you find your heart questioning the legitimacy of God's word to tell you what to do? Or the ability of God's word to carry you through these trials? Or do you find yourself saying it was easier to obey these things in 2019, now this is getting hard? It was easy to have that theoretical obedience oh, when things were relatively easy, but now this is really getting difficult. Maybe, maybe I was wrong here. Maybe I don't have to do everything this says. You know, maybe I can pick and choose the the easiest parts. Certainly when God told me to love my neighbor as, he's, as myself, he didn't know the kinds of people that were going to be around for the past six months that I was going to have to love. Uh, certainly when God told me not to have a spirit of fear, he didn't realize how much was going to be happening all at the same time. That I'd have to be afraid of breathing air and that I'd have to be afraid of the people that were going to be around or what was going to happen in my city. Uh, maybe I'm allowed to be fearful of that. If you find yourself thinking uh, anything along these lines, uh, questioning the validity of the word in your heart, be reminded this morning from the psalmist that the word cannot fail. It cannot be broken. It is eternally sure. The authority of Scripture demands that you believe it and trust it. And number two, the life-giving authority of God's word Look at verses 92 through 95. He says, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. Okay, now, when he says law or, or precept, there's a presupposition here of God's authority. right? If it's a law, if it's a precept, if it's something to be obeyed, and the psalmist is looking at these things that he has obeyed and submitted himself to, there's a presupposition on his part that God's word carries authority. Okay, so we're going to see 
Uh, so right, right now um, on your, your outline, we're on number two, we're on letter B, and there are four, I, I, I promised I'd help you take notes, there are four sub points under letter B, under number two. The first, psalmist delights in God's law. He says that if he had not delighted in the word of God, he would have perished. His affliction uh, literally would have killed him. He would have wasted away into nothing. But delighting in the law of God gave him vitality. Uh, there is nothing more detrimental to your life as a Christian than to become distracted. Okay, let me, let me slow down. Take a break from your notes. Look up here. There is nothing more detrimental to your life as a Christian than in the midst of trial to become distracted from the word of God from what it says, and from submitting yourself to it. The world tells you, your own heart will tell you to find whatever works for you, whatever's going to make you feel better, better to curl up and wait it out. That will never, I can promise you 100% of the time, that will never work for you as a believer. When times are hard, when things are difficult, do not let it take your eyes off of Scripture and off of the one who purchased you. Living biblically starts with delighting in how the Bible says to live your life. I'll say it one more time. Living biblically starts with delighting in how the Bible says to live your life. Okay, number two, he remembers God's law. He says he will never forget God's law. Look at the reasons he gives immediately afterwards. He says he won't forget it because it has given him life. Because he has not perished in his affliction, he will continue to remember God's law. You notice in the previous sentence he said the law of God kept him from dying, and now he says the law of God gives him life. So the impetus of these two statements taken together is that this, this word, the authoritative law of God. That is where life is found. What did Peter say to Christ? Where else would we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. This, this is where life is found. The law of God gives life, and to depart from the law of God brings death. All right. Number three, he trusts in God's law. We can see this is the case because he cries out to, for, to God for salvation on the basis of his identity of belonging to him. He says, save me for, so save me because I am yours. And he validates that claim of belonging to God because he has sought God's precepts. So it's because I have submitted myself to your word, therefore I know that I am. I'm a faithful, believing, saved individual who belongs to you. Because of that, save me. So he trusts in the vitality of God's law. Fourth, he lives by God's law. Oh, this is especially pertinent to what's going on uh, in the world today. The psalmist says that in response to the wicked who are seeking to bring him to ruin and to end his life, He'll what? Fight back, protect himself, retaliate. 
No, he says he will consider the testimonies of God. Sometimes we think that the study of theology is, is an ivory tower thing for when life is easy. Guys, the study of theology is for when times are hard, when life is difficult, when unbelievers are after us. That is the time that we consider the testimonies of God, that we dive into what the Word says. That's where our life and our protection and our safety is found. It's submitting to the authority of the Word and the content of our theology in the midst of suffering. Uh, so in summary of these four points, uh, Christian, do you, do you want spiritual life? Do you want vitality in your walk with God? Then view the scriptures as authoritative for you. View it as something that you must submit to regardless of consequences. Uh, that's what, what sola scriptura means. Scripture alone. Uh, scriptures claim on your heart and your life it is absolute it is exclusive uh, you cannot allow yourself to have competing authorities it's not government and god it's not people and god it's not family and god it's not professors and god god's word alone is our rule of faith all right so we're we're in number 3 uh letter c the, the right response. Look at what the psalmist says. After all of this, he says, I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. What does that mean? In creation, I've seen a lot of things that are not perfect. In fact, everything that I've seen has fallen short of the standard of perfect but what I've seen in your commandment goes past perfect. Everything else fails to satisfy. Everything else fails to carry me through. But your commandment, your law, obedience to you is as perfect as perfect can be. This is how our heart should respond when we see how wonderful the word of God is. It should cause us to be in awe. We know that we believe the Word of God is what it claims to be, not when we can articulate good theology, but when we stand in awe of it. That's when we know that we really believe this. It's not because we can pass a theology test or because we can write a good paper or preach a good sermon. It's when we stand in awe of God when we stand in awe of what he has revealed in his word. Uh, remember the words of Isaiah 66 too. Who will God look to? Those who are humble, contrite in spirit, and tremble at his word. Now, let me ask you this morning, do you tremble at the word of God? See, the, the, thing, about, the thing about trembling, you don't choose to tremble. It's an involuntary reaction to something that elicits great fear or emotion from you. If a lion runs into this room, I'll probably tremble. And it's not because I want the lion to think that I'm scared of him. It can't fool God.
if we have right theology regarding the Bible, but we do not have a sense of wonder and amazement towards it, that probably means we do not esteem the Word of God as we should. If we look at the Word of God as it truly is, it should cause an involuntary reaction from our hearts to tremble at His Word. Well, if I, I were to give you an example, if a coworker wants to meet me for lunch, probably won't be that nervous at all. We're peers. Um, if Lenny Curry, the mayor of Jacksonville, wants to meet me for lunch, I'd probably be a little nervous. I don't know why he would anyway. That, that alone might make me nervous. But his level of authority, there, there will be a, a sense of respect. Okay, If the president of the United States gets my cell phone, well, he probably already has my cell phone number, if he calls me and wants me to meet him for lunch, there's going to be a great sense of respect and authority uh, for the authority of his position. So if we have no sense of fear and wonder at the word of God, we probably don't really, truly in our hearts, believe it possesses the authority of God. So at, at the end of, of all of this, uh, that's, what, that's what we want. I, I don't want you to walk out of here fully able to articulate the doctrine of Scripture's authority and totally unafraid of its implications for your life. Um, if that's where you find yourself, walking out of here, looking at the Word of God says, uh, what the Word of God says about itself, completely unaffected, that you, you got nothing from this. This was a waste of your time. If you do not leave here trembling at the word of God, if I do not leave here trembling at the word of God, this is for nothing. Oh, on the other hand, if you leave uh, maybe a little fuzzy on some of the details because I didn't explain it as well as I could have, but you know that the word of God commands you to believe and obey and that drives you to your knees, that pleases God. God's not looking for theologians. He's looking for obedient, faithful, humble hearts. When he speaks, they listen and they obey. That's what God wants. Well, three implications of authority to summarize and, and make this simple. The authority of God's word means that you must believe, you must obey, and you must stand in awe. Beloved, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, your word is fearfully wonderful. Uh, it is, is majestic. It is beautiful. It is perfect. Uh, beyond what we can even understand or articulate, uh, you, the holy, omnipotent God, have revealed yourself in your word in a clear, authoritative, sufficient way to equip us to be your children and to know what to believe and how to obey. Lord, help us not to just have head knowledge where we can say the right thing. Help us to be obedient and submissive to what your word says regardless of the cost to our lives regardless of what people may think of us. 
Lord, may we obey in all ways to whatever your word commands from us. In Christ's name, amen.